Becky Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. Today, we'll be talking to Savannah, the manager of the fabulous Museum of Miniature Houses located in Carmel, Indiana. You can find it on Instagram at the period mini period museum. Let's go talk to Savannah. Hello, Savannah. So glad you could join us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. We met in person at the grand reopening of the Museum of Miniature Houses back in January. And ever since then, I've been wanting to have you on the show. And I'm so glad the day has come. Yeah, it's so exciting, especially, you know, now that we've kind of settled down in our opening and people have really, really been excited about all that we've, you know, changed and all the new things we have to offer. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you. That is great. Well, one of the pieces that caught my eye was your beautiful and frighteningly fabulous Adams Family (laughs) House. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. It's gorgeous. It's haunting. It's this massive piece. Uh, It's 24 rooms and it's a huge mansion, you know, very decrepit and, you know, the wallpaper is peeling and bubbling. And of course, it features all of the characters from the franchise from the mom and dad. We have all of the the cousins. And of course, we have Wednesday Adams as well. Very popular right now. And she's standing front and center, up to no good. She's actually standing right next to a guillotine, isn't that right? (laughs) She is, yes, and I feel very threatened. (laughs) One of the things that amazed me about this, besides just the size, which you really have to see to believe, is the incredible amount of detail. I mean, with 26 rooms, I expected some of the rooms not to be as detailed, but each one is truly a mini masterpiece. Yeah, it absolutely is, and the incredible thing is, too, Kelly Cooner, the person who made this piece, she uh, not only did she hand create almost everything inside, but it only took her a year to do it. I'm in awe. I mean, sometimes it takes me two weeks to wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Now, she did admit there were long days working through the night, sometimes about 16 hours a day. She would work on creating her masterpiece, making it come alive. She watched a lot of the movies. She watched some TV inspiration just to really you know, get into that immersive environment and create that moving picture that you see as you look from room to room. So she did everything herself. It was incredible. She even took a toy, cut it up and made it into a bear rug that's sitting in one of the foyers. You know, she painted pictures herself by pausing the movie and seeing what pictures they had in the background of the house and trying to recreate it with tiny little paintbrushes. She really, really made it all come together. She did. Now, there's so many little details. I was trying to think of my favorites, and I could only narrow it down to two. Mm -hmm. And one of them was sort of the creepy dollhouse within the creepy dollhouse. And then I also just love that whole room with that kind of the creepy gardens and the poisonous Mm -hmm. plants and Morticia's portrait being painted. Yeah, it's just such a gorgeous scene. You know, the the vines are creeping and kind of overtaking the space. It's just, it's grotesque, but in a really beautiful way. Yes. And do you have a favorite detail? Oh, that is tough. I think I really enjoy that not only is there an it doll, but you also have in the baby carriage, it's baby, who I believe is the name, what? It's something, it's just this little tiny furry thing with a little pacifier. It's hilarious. 
And I also think that the rear end of the moose that hangs in Gomez's study is just hilarious. There's just so much wit. Yes, there is so much wit. I love that too. And listeners, you'll be happy to know that since I went in person to the museum, you'll be able to see all the details we talked about it because I took pictures of it like I was doing a documentary. (laughs) You'll be able to see it all. Now, tell us how you got the piece in there because it is indeed massive. It really is. We were nervous. We did not measure it beforehand, which uh, I do not recommend because we could have had a bigger issue on our hands, but we were able to fit it through our main street door. For those of you who haven't been to the museum, we do have stairs in that doorway that go up to the main portion of the museum. So we had to basically dismantle it. We took the top half and with Kelly's permission, temporarily broke it from the bottom base. It makes me nervous just hearing that, even though I know it turned out okay. (laughs) Oh, we were all sweating. We were so nervous, you know, no sudden movements. And we heard those cracks as it kind of opened itself up. And then we took that top piece and set it to the side and decided to bring the base over first. So we made two separate trips with some movers we hired who had moved miniatures before. They were fantastic. So we lifted with three people and brought it very slowly up each step, each step, you know, pausing to take a breath to make sure we weren't going to trip. And we finally got it into place. Now, once we had both pieces into the museum, you know, the hard part felt like it was over. But then Kelly, she came and unhooked all of the electrical plugs when we got there. And then she replugged them all back in. And the moment of truth was flipping on that switch and seeing the whole thing light up. So it, it was perfect. It was flawless. We didn't have a single broken piece. I did have to take out the entire interior by hand. That was tricky, but it was a lot of fun once we got it all back together. You took out every piece? Yes. I had to take three to four pictures of each room just so I made sure that we had it right. And then I went through and pulled each little piece off the, you know, off the walls if they weren't super secure. We had to tuck and tie down the lamps. We had to pull all of the dolls and the furniture and just all of it. I want to say there are hundreds of pieces. Hundreds, if really probably thousands. I mean, Yeah, it's a lot. It took a whole day. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, just thinking about that, because this is not like a minimalist house. Quite the opposite, really. (laughs) Wow, I did not realize you did that. So it took you a whole day to get put it back? Yeah, I would say so. You know, the moving itself only took about an hour. Um, They were fantastic and they were a lot of help. But then putting everything back, making sure everything was glued down, making sure to hide any cords and things like that. It was very meticulous work. Oh, wow. Well, it all turned out beautiful. And I love that it's it's in a nice open area with lots of light. Mm-hmm. I think I came back to it like three or four times. I mean, you really can spend a lot of time looking at it. Absolutely. It almost draws you in. I feel like it, you know, it pulls you closer and almost entrances you in a way, which I love. I do love that too. Now, I met you at the reopening and it hadn't been closed for a long time, just a couple weeks, right? Can you tell us a Mm -hmm. little bit about why you closed and what you did in the meantime? I just started at the museum about six months ago, but we close annually typically in January, just for cleanings, exhibit rotations. But this year, our January closing was only two weeks, just like the others, but we managed to fit a ton more in. We brought something new to 
each of our seven rooms. So, you know, moving bigger pieces, rotating things from room to room to kind of give it that thematic look and feel as a museum should have, kind of encouraging the flow of the walking through of the space. And it was only really three of us. We did a lot and it's probably the most we've ever done since we opened in 1993. So we're really proud of how fresh and new the museum looks. Um, And we also hired some miniaturist cleaners during that time to come through and clean some of our miniatures, do some mini dusting. It was adorable. So there were a miniature club, right, that specialized in doing this? Mm -hmm. Yep. They all came with their own little tools, toothbrushes, tiny paintbrushes, you know, little tiny, tiny hand vacuums. And they went through and anytime they spotted dust, they went to work and the space just really glows now. The time I met you was actually the second time I had been to your museum. The first time was in COVID when we drove across the country to see my son Drew and we stopped there and it was open and I went in and I loved it then. I have to say I love it even more now. And when you talked about the flow and the theme, I can tell you from firsthand that you really did improve the flow, like the physical flow. There were times when it was a little hard to get around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were so many treasures, you literally had to slither in and out. That's right. <laughs> and it does really sparkle now. So you made a great thing even even better, and you should be really proud of yourself and, and all the people who worked with you for that. Absolutely. We are just so thankful and you know really appreciative of the reception, too. People have such great feedback. You know, members who have been with us for a very long time, uh, some of our board members just keep raving on and on about the work that we're doing. And I think it really encourages us to keep pushing forward and to make these changes to, you know, inspire the miniature community locally and then across the country. Absolutely. Now, one of your board members is actually Sid from Mod Pod Minis. Is that right? Yeah, so she volunteers with us, and she also will be starting some classes soon through the museum, which is super exciting. That is, and she was there that day, and I actually, she actually has a piece in the museum, which is lovely. Yeah, we have so many incredible volunteers and docents who, you know, re- they're really the reason we're able to stay open. They do a lot of the maintenance. They do you know, processing admissions. They are really helpful when any guest has questions about okay, how do I even get started? You know, they've got the answer and the experience. And it's always wonderful to be able to showcase their pieces in our museum as well. That's wonderful. What kind of classes will she do? Oh, I'm guessing she'll probably do uh, some mid-century modern furniture. And she'll also be doing some acrylic pour over painting because she is just fantastic at that. Oh, how wonderful. Now, speaking of mid-century modern, there's another big piece that's new to the museum. It's mid-century modern. It's absolutely fabulous. Can you tell us a little bit about this piece? It was created by Linda Ferris, and we actually went out of our way to commission this piece because, you know, as a museum, most of what we get in is donation-based, and so it's kind of a luck of the draw. We get a lot of Victorian, we get some early American, you know, some contemporary pieces, but we're always on the hunt for, you know, what's happening in miniature now? What are the popularity crazes? What are the trends? You know, how can we really showcase the miniatures that are being made today? And so we decided, you know, we need a mid-century modern piece that really encapsulates the shape of the 
you know, the architecture, the interior design. And so we commissioned this piece and she just did a fantastic job. She made the paintings on the walls. We've got some Marilyn Monroe pop prints, of course, it's very classic. We have an egg chair. We've got a little fireplace where you can put your feet up and watch some TV. We've got a beautiful kitchen. It's just incredible. The techniques that she used were really unique. She used some egg crating. Uh, she used some cardboard that you can't even tell. It's been completely transformed. So we are so happy to have this on display. It is a wonderful piece. And it just channels madmen and cocktails. Yes, absolutely. Smoky rooms. All of that. Now, do you have a favorite piece in the museum? Yes, I want to cheat and say the whole museum, but I will say in one of the rooms, we have this little room box. It's beautifully wooden and ornate. And in the middle of the table, you can see that all of the porcelain, the candelabras, they've been knocked off to the floor. There's a tablecloth that's been scattered to the side. And in the very middle of the table is a white cat with its leg up in the air and it's licking its booty. (laughs) It's called very appropriately bad, bad kitty. And I think it's just so relatable. It's fun. You know, it really, if you've got a pet at home or even maybe, you know, a little troublesome youngster, you can just imagine the chaos of the scene. And then that juxtaposed against this little cat just sitting there like minding its own business. It's hilarious. It is. And as my listeners know, I often do my own version of Bad Bad Kitty. I have many <laughs> dogs and I'm and some cats and I'm always showing them eating the roast beef or knocking things down. <laughs> They're inspired by my real life nine pounds of chaos, Ziggy, who is very present in my pictures and often co-hosts with me when I do live on Instagram every Thursday. <laughs> So when you showed me that and said it was one of your favorites, I knew I'd met a kindred spirit. One of the surprises that this little museum held for me the first time I went is I was walking around and this bar caught my eye. And Mm -hmm. I looked closer and closer. It was a thorn room. You have an actual (laughs) thorn room in Carmel, Indiana. We do. It is kind of our little hidden gem, I would say. We have it kind of in the middle of the museum. And I love watching the recognition of the people who don't know it's there. You know, they turn the corner and they gasp and they do go closer because of that beautiful ornate gold. And then they see the signature of Narcissa Thorne right underneath it. And you could get her picture, her biography, and it all comes together. I think it's maybe my favorite. It's just a little more intimate, maybe because it's got all the bar cocktail and the details where some of the other thorn rooms are more about the architecture and less about the little details that we think of as life. And it just gives you that sense of being at an upscale bar in in New York. And I just love it so much. It's timeless. I think you're absolutely right. You know, like you were saying, many of the thorn rooms, which are displayed at uh, the Art Institute in Chicago, you know, they've got those stiff feelings of being in a catalog in a really beautiful way. You know, it's an examination of that architectural style, that interior design. But this bar, it's gold, it's ornate. You've got the liquor on the cabinet. And I think one thing that is really, really technically performed well by uh, Narcissa when she made this is that the backing is a mirror. 
And so when I look at it, you know, I'm not thinking about it necessarily, but I almost see myself in that space because I'm looking at a reflection. And I think that works so well in her piece. You know, it's always a favorite. We even get a lot of non-miniaturists who, you know, I ask everyone as they leave, what was your favorite piece? And I'll often hear, oh, what was that little bar? And I, I just love being able to break it to them that, you know, this is a very famous artist and a miniaturist. And it kind of shows that even if you don't know the world of miniatures or kind of the finer art of miniatures, you know, you can have a good eye. You can find something that's really quality and that draws you in. Her art speaks for itself. And now, a special offer from our sponsor. The Big Dollhouse event at Miniatures.com is on, and they've given me a special code for my listeners. Get 20% off at checkout with code DOLLHOUSE for your first order from now through May 11th. There's over 70 Dollhouse kits and room boxes, from new designs by talented miniaturists to your favorite classics. Don't forget room boxes, a cost, space, and time-saving alternative. So order now from miniatures.com and save 20% with code DOLLHOUSE. So tell me a little bit about the History Museum. So our museum was started in 1993 by three women. Now, coincidentally, two of them are named Suzanne. So we have Susie, Suzanne, and Nancy. Now, these three women were all miniaturists, and they were good friends. They worked together some, but they mostly did their own projects. They have very different styles. And when they were really into making and crafting and collecting these miniatures, they looked around and saw how many of their friends, loved ones, you know, either a loved one has passed or, you know, you're downsizing your house. And what do you do with all the miniatures? They take up a lot of space. And so many of those miniatures were going to the trash. They were being sold for nothing at yard sales, donated to the Goodwill. They really took issue with that. They recognized how beautiful miniatures are, but also how historically important, you know, looking at the lens of art through miniature, that architectural design, how people lived back then and showcasing that was just so important to them. So they came together and said, we need to protect miniatures. We need to educate people and we need to get people excited about the craft because it's dying. And so they made a museum. They bought a plot of land in Carmel, which thankfully for us has now become the center of Carmel. It's right on Main Street in the Arts and Design District. So we've got art galleries to our left. We've got lovely spots to eat. And it's just, it's booming. And so people are coming in who have never even heard of miniatures or, you know, maybe their grandmother and had a dollhouse. And it's just, it's really inspiring the next generation of miniaturists. Yes, it really is a lovely story. And For anyone who's a couple hours away like me, it's a wonderful place to go away for a night or a couple hours or the weekend. We had a fabulous time when we went. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad. Another uh, miniature I wanted to talk about, I believe, was on the cover of American Miniaturist a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. I forget the name, but I have in my notes the Moonshine Miniatures. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is the Moonshiner's Cabin. Ah, I was close. It's an absolutely gorgeous piece, if you're into shabby chic, I would say. I'm going to take a little issue with shabby chic. It's really just shabby. (laughs) 
That's right. I would say it's savvy and humorous. And I love the humor in it. But honestly, there's nothing chic about these moonshiners. And that's what's so funny about it. Oh, yeah. They've got dirt and grime between their toes. You know, their house is falling apart. And it just, you can feel the heaviness of the beams supporting the ceiling. You can see the moss growing around the edges. That's one thing I love about the museum. It really has such a wide variety of miniatures. It's not all Victorian. It's not all modern. It's not all serious. There's humor. There's horror. There's elegance with the thorn rooms. There there really is such a great variety. Yeah, and that's something that we've really been intentionally showcasing, at least, you know, in the last six months since I've been here. That's something I'm really passionate about is showing the range of miniatures to let people know you can do this. You can collect, you can create, you know, whatever you can do in full size, you can really scale down to miniatures. If you're a woodworker, you could make small furniture and chairs. If you love pottery, you can make little pots. You know, there's so much that, you know, miniatures can be. And that's something that we're trying to do more of, especially in one of our rooms. It's room seven. And we are focusing on expanding the idea of what miniatures are. So, you know, things that you might not necessarily associate with miniatures, like tabletop miniatures that people are using for Dungeons and Dragons, or even really well handcrafted Legos can be miniatures. Bonsais can be miniatures. You know, anything that takes something and uses it as inspiration and shrieks it into that tiny, that really counts as a miniature for us. It does. And I think that's really clever and interesting to expand that definition because I think right now that's what a lot of the artists within the miniature community are doing. They're Mm -hmm. changing what it means to be a miniaturist in some ways. Absolutely. I feel like they're pushing a lot of boundaries. And to be able to represent that in our museum, I think, is really special and showcases a wider range of people who are making the art. Yes. Now tell us a little bit about your background before you came to the museum. So it's kind of a funny story. I did not start out in miniatures. Um, I've never made a miniature in my life. I've never owned one until starting here. And now, of course, I have a million. (laughs) I just see all the cats and I buy them. That's why there were no cats at the gift shop. Yes, we run out very quickly and most of them are at my house. (laughs) They're just so cute. But I also did not know originally that I wanted to be in the museum world at all. I majored in creative and professional writing in college, and I minored in literary studies and Spanish. So lots and lots of English, lots of writing. And, you know, I was working at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, which has just been voted the best children's museum in the world. It's also the biggest. And I don't know, I just, I wanted to change. I wanted to make a meaningful impact in a more direct way. And so I found literally the miniature museum was the place for me. So going from the largest museum to the smallest, and I was just so drawn in by the stories, you know, the stories behind the exhibits. Why did they make it this way? What were these choices? And, you know, how does that impact the people who could live in these miniatures? And I think that's really what kind of connected me to the subject matter. And of course, you know, now I have these miniature project ideas and I want to do all of these workshops and 
community programs, kids programs, you know, it's really spiraled into this long life passion. And I'm just really excited to be a part of it. And that really speaks to me because that's why I started the podcast, because I loved hearing why people created what they did, how they created it, what inspired them. I think that's just that extra spark that connects you and connects other people to these pieces of art. It is. It it kind of transforms them. It really gives them life. It does. Now, tell us some of your plans. Oh, first, though, I saw an event that looked fabulous. Tell us about your Valentine's Day event. I was so excited that we got to do this event. This was called In Love with Miniatures, and it was our special Valentine's event. It was adults only, and it provided the rare chance for guests to see the museum after dark. So we turned off all the lights. We had fairy lights leading the way, you know, flickering candles. We rolled out a red carpet. We sprinkled rose petals on the floor. It was incredible and, you know, very intimate, very cozy. There was a scavenger hunt that was all, you know, Valentine's themed. You know, we had snacks, we had drinks, we had door prizes and kind of challenges. And so we brought in some people who had never seen miniatures before, just exploring what was around Carmel. And we had a really great turnout. We hit capacity. So we're excited to do more events like that in the future. Yes, so you may not have known this, but the hot place to be on Valentine's Day next year is Carmel, Indiana. (laughs) That's right. And I understand you have some children's programming you're working on, too. Yes. So one of the reasons I think they snatched me from the Children's Museum was because I worked in programming. And so I wrote and performed programs for kids and their families, you know, all about learning museum exhibits and kind of bringing that immersion, really making the exhibits come to life. So we're working on some hands-on workshops for both kids and for miniaturists of different levels. We're working on some community programs as well. Think maybe like a wine and canvas night, but you get to make some miniatures with a little glass of wine. We're bringing in a lot of new, exciting ways to get the community involved. There's so many ways to do it, from teaching kids the art of miniature and the math and the craft it takes to do that, from using Mm -hmm. it to teach different history periods. There's really no limit to what you can do other than your imagination. That's right. And luckily, we've got more ideas than we know what to do with. So we're trying to churn out as many as possible. And we're always taking you know suggestions from the community as well. We have idea boxes, we have stations where you can write down, you know, I wish I could see this miniature. And that's all just to inspire people to give them a voice and to showcase that, you know, this museum is only open because artists from around the country around the world decided to trust us with their miniatures. And so being able to showcase those to other people who might not know, you know, just how incredible the art form is. It's really that connection and that community that brings us all together. It is. Now, another one of my favorites is the California house, which turns completely. Yes, it has a 360 degree rotation, which is just incredible. So this piece we've had for a couple of years now, it is on this big circle block and stand. This is a piece that started out as only three rooms. And the person who made it was an interior designer, an architect, and really wanted to 
see the things that she was imagining, the pieces, you know, the furniture, the style that she envisioned, she wanted to see that brought to life. And so she decided to start with these couple of rooms just to get those ideas out. And then she looked and said, well, there needs to be another side of the house. And so she built on another side of the house. And then once she finished the house, she said, no, 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 this needs to have the landscaping all around it. So there's a pool, there's a little river flowing through. It's visually gorgeous. It is. Now, what is the decor style in there? It's not quite mid-century modern. It's a little later. Is it like 70s? Yeah, I, I think it kind of toes that line. You know, we've got a pink bathroom. So I think that dates it a little bit in the best way. We've got some zebra print. We've got some bright poppy red. And so I think that's about right in between mid-century and really the 60s, 70s, getting that feel. I would live there any day, pink bathroom and all. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's really a unique piece. And the fact that you can turn it around When I was trying to take a picture of it, I was trying to find the best side. But really, Mm -hmm. every angle was the best side. Yeah, it worked out so perfectly that she really finished it down to the last detail. It's one of our favorites to show kids as well, because, you know, under the pool, under the deck, there's a little raccoon hiding. And so if anyone visits from this podcast, I encourage you to find that little raccoon. I did not see the raccoon. I now have to go back. You have to come back. (laughs) Those are the rules. (laughs) I was looking for an excuse anyway, so I'm okay with that. So for our doll lovers out there, you have some special dolls by Vivian Barnes, who made quite a name for herself. She did. She makes some of the most beautifully ornate dolls I think I've ever seen. You know, we have quite a few in our collection, but hers really stand apart. They've got these beautiful Victorian dresses with lace trim. You know, they've got their little hand umbrellas. They have their silk gloves. It's just gorgeous. The special thing about Vivian Barnes, I think, is, you know, she was primarily a doll maker and that is the name she made for herself. She sold her dolls. She was a collector and she made so many and started to look at them and say, well, they need somewhere to live. You know, they they need to breathe that life into them. And so she, not as a miniaturist, decided to make her own settings, her own room boxes, but almost entirely out of paper and cardboard, which is just, it's incredible. They're very fragile, but just beautiful. And you really can't tell. You really can't, because when you first told me that, I was really surprised. I went back to my pictures to make sure you were right. <laughs> The background is beautiful, and what really stands out to me is both the costuming, which is just amazing, but also Mm. by grouping them, she really did create little stories in there. She did. It's like watching a little mini episode of Bridgerton. You can tell, you know, who's popular, which guy she's rolling her eyes at. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Who's chasing her. Yes, absolutely. It does feel like Bridgerton. And I think that's why I keep coming back to it. You know, it draws me in and I'm like, I wonder if I could live in that world. (laughs) I think for the most part, no, but it'd be fun to go to a ball. (laughs) Maybe to visit. Yes. There's another one that captures my attention. You have the Museum of Unicorns, which I love because Mm -hmm. I wish there was a Museum of Unicorns. I would totally go to it. Oh, absolutely. And the Museum of Unicorns also has these ladies who are just, if you can imagine like a caricature, that's what these look like, these dolls. They're hilarious. 
they're almost grotesque, I think. You know, the features are so exaggerated and they just, they feel frumpy and like the old money, you know, it just, of course they would visit the Unicorn Museum. It's fantastic. Some of my favorite dolls that we have. It just makes you smile. So another miniature I saw in your collection that I had not heard of this type before, I was attracted to it because it was sort of a beautiful blue or teal. And it's a plate, not a miniature plate, an actual, maybe the size of a salad plate that's ensconced in the back. And then a miniature room is sort of created behind it. It's such a unique piece. So it does feature a full size plate that it kind of has a little bit of transparency to it. And so we took a light behind to shine through and show, you know, this is a plate. (laughs) This is something that you could eat off of. It was just incredibly made. And it really showcases that you can use the miniatures in any way you want to. You don't even have to use something miniature. You can find something full size and just build around it and create that scene. Somehow it really really fits. It blends in. It looks like this beautiful background. It's like a beautiful blue stained glass window. After I saw it, I went around my house going, what could I put in my room pot? Well, it encourages you to kind of look at the things that you own in a different way. You know, that was one of the inspirations for the room that it's in is what we're now lovingly calling the mini inspiration room. So on our website, we've mentioned our inspiration room, which was about five minutes away. It's where my office is as well as our private collections. And we had a space where people could come and visit kind of on an appointments only basis to see some of the pieces that we had yet to put into the museum. So the Adams Family Dollhouse was there for a bit. You know, the mid-century modern piece was there as well. And that inspiration room was really to showcase unique techniques. So, you know, using a full-size plate or a unique room box as inspiration. And we decided, you know, with this refresh, why not? We're bringing it back to the museum. So we brought almost everything from there into this room. And we really tried to highlight that pushing of the boundaries of what miniatures means. So we've got a Phantom of the Opera in an old radio box. We have a kitchen in an oven. We've got all of these different things you might not have ever thought of before, but someone did and they made it into a reality. So it's just incredible. It is. And when you first become a miniaturist, one of the first things you do is start to look at many things differently. How many of us have discovered for the first time, oh, I can use a champagne cage as a side table or a chair. Popsicle sticks flooring. Popsicle sticks flooring. (laughs) But this was so unique because it's taking a regular size item and somehow still incorporating it. And I just really found that to be quite interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, it it really just does push those boundaries. It does. So you also have some exciting things going on in the museum in terms of construction. Your little museum is, is getting bigger. Yes, we are so excited. So we have found an architect and we are breaking ground soon on a new physical expansion for our museum building. So we own the grass lot to the side of us, um, just one space over. And so we are deciding to bust down one of our walls and make some more space. So we'll have another room of exhibits for you to look at. 
we'll be bringing in a wider door so that we can have some of our bigger pieces able to fit because we have a gorgeous Salberg mansion. It's probably one of the most incredible things we own and we just haven't been able to fit it through our museum door. And so there will be so much more to come once we have this expansion and it should be finished within 2023. And thankfully, it will not affect our open hours. So feel free to come in the meantime as we're doing some of our construction. Well, I'm really excited about that. You know, our focus is that community involvement and specifically something we've been working on is reaching out to other miniature organizations, especially other miniature museums. I went to a symposium recently and there was this quote that just stuck with me. They said, Small museums struggle alone, but they're much stronger together. And that is just really my driving force of how do we connect people together? How do we build those interactions and build that community that will help all of us, you know, share this beautiful art form? Uh, Well, that's so lovely. And a great note to end on. The next thing all my listeners should do is get out a map and look how close you are to it. (laughs) Come visit or at least go to their Instagram and give them some love. Well, thank you for being on the show. And it's just really so fun to see all the see and hear about all the changes and exciting miniature happenings. Thank you so much for having me and for all of your support. It really means a lot to us. So I'm excited to keep chatting more and keeping you updated on all the fun things we're doing. We're going to do an update when you have your new expansion all done. That's right. And I'll show you where that raccoon is. (laughs) That would be good to know because that's going to bother me that I didn't find it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Savannah, thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I really hoped you enjoyed learning about the Museum of Miniature Houses as much as I did. My next podcast is only three weeks away instead of the usual four. And it features the dynamic mother-daughter duo, Tracy and Stephanie, on Instagram at myminiaturelife underscore YT. We'll talk about their beautifully filmed, elaborate videos full of fun and minis and how they store their thousands of minis and so much more. Tune in on Tuesday, May 2nd for this episode. Also want to thank everyone who's taken the time to review my podcast. It makes such a difference in getting new listeners. If you haven't done it and you have a minute, I would really appreciate it. See you next time. And in the meantime, remember... Your dollhouse, your rules. Goodbye.